Hey, Upper Features. Hope you're having a great day so far. This week's episode, I talk with Joe DeLoss, the Hot Chicken Takeover CEO and founder. We talk about scarcity or novelty marketing, challenges of scaling up from a parking lot to several locations. He's a second chance or a fair chance employer. We get into his ranch dressing recipe, his order at Hot Chicken Takeover, as well as his top three Columbus, Ohio restaurants, and much, much more. Now, full disclosure, the audio quality is less than ideal, but the content is awesome. This was a really great episode. Joe's a really sweet, nice guy, and he cares a lot about his business as well as the community. So I would definitely give this a listen. The the ranch dressing recipe, a lot of people requested that. And then a lot of people requested information on the second chance employer. So I'll just grab one here real quick. So Eat Drink Columbus says, what is the most surprising thing Joe's learned as a second chance employer? Um, Second chance, or we call it fair chance employment, is really about creating work opportunities, um, primarily for people that have been affected by the justice system and have been affected by a criminal record, which is a huge, like, huge dang on a resume and and prevents you from really re-entering the community and society in a lot of ways. And so I am not a fair chance candidate. I've done plenty of illegal things, but have never been caught. And had I gotten caught, I would have probably had the resources and family to to get me out of it. And and so I think, you know, surprising, maybe not surprising, is that that privilege and that privilege that many people have that they're unaware of is a huge, huge privilege, exactly what it's called. And, and most of the folks on our team have have experienced such adversity in their life, perhaps adversity uh, generations ahead of them that have prevented them from having access to a lot of the same things I have. And so, you know, especially when you talk about entrepreneurship, we have a lot of very entrepreneurial team members that were just hustling illegal things. And um, I've mostly hustled legal things in my life. And I think I've just gained such perspective. And uh, my life has been enriched by learning from people that have had different experience in the world than I have. And so outside looking in, people look at our company and they think about fair chance employment in a really novel way. But the reality is like our business is stronger because our people are stronger. Our retention of team members is about three times better than our industry. Oh my God. And so for that like excellent guest experience somebody might have in our restaurant or the fact that somebody remembers their name like that's by design that our team sticks around longer and they're deeply invested and engaged and i'm i'm grateful that we've earned that as an employer you know so i i think i'm constantly amazed by what people can overcome and uh, it's always given my life a lot of perspective now, have you found any challenges, for example, maybe someone doesn't want to work with a fair chance employer, maybe someone feels some type of way about a criminal record? Um, and then second question mm-hmm. would be, have you found that, like, have you been burned, for example, like maybe someone took something from the register or maybe took some food yeah. product or something like anything like bad, bad sides of this? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had, you know, all of those instances and more, but you won't talk to another employer in our industry that hasn't. Um, What we've generally found is the amount of kind of accountability and ownership of our team is just like leap years ahead of our peers. And so, you know, we credit that to a lot of people that are oriented towards their future, not not their past. and And that makes a big difference. A lot of folks on our team have a lot to gain from a positive work experience and and a positive employer relationship. And so um, I've talked to plenty of employers that have a lot of judgments and stereotypes about who we hire um, and are themselves not fair chance employers. 
but they also have like a, a line item on their profit and loss item uh, statement called shrinkage, okay. which is they're literally accounting for people stealing from them, but they won't hire somebody with a record. And so I always have to remind them, like, you're actively hiring criminals, like the people that are good enough to not be caught. Yeah. And so why not hire somebody that has made a mistake in the past, but is also catchable, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just like, a, it's just a really ridiculous notion that we judge people by their worst mistake often and so punitively when it's it's generally the same people that had the parents that got, got them out of that party incident in high school or, you know, that issue in college that they could have been suspended for. And so pretty, pretty egregious for people to have that kind of judgment. And so we just decide we don't want to employ those people and we don't want to serve them if, if they have those judgments. And I think that's amazing, man. And like, whenever I Googled you guys, like when I first started learning about you, like that really stuck out to me. And um, it just means a lot. Like I, thankfully I don't have a criminal record, but I have a lot of empathy for people that do. And I just think you're doing great work over there. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. And so the, the other question, which a lot of people asked is the ranch, which your ranch is very special. <laughs> Because it's like liquidy, but not in a bad way. Because some places have runny ranch and it's garbage, but there's something yeah. special about yours. So if you don't want to share the industry secret, I get it. But a lot of people ask, so I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to give some clues about our ranch, but I, I'm also gonna, I know you're gonna ask me about an unpopular food opinion because uh-huh. you do ask this while you guest. So here's mine because it's related. Okay. I hate ranch dressing. I hate <laughs> it. I think it is the bane of uh, the dressing experience. And I know that's unpopular. And so our ranch, I don't like dip my chicken in anything. I I never have well before hot chicken. And um, as we were testing recipes and we were trying to dial in our spice levels, it was so volatile. And so sometimes I would make a test batch and it would just melt your face. And so my wife, Lisa, was like, you've got to give me some ranch dressing. Like you have to cool this off. Right. <laughs> and, and so initially it was really like we were buying the big brand, thick, creamy ranch dressing. And that's what we were serving in our house as we tested it out. And then we knew that ranch had to become a staple on our menu. And so we started to kind of pilot recipes. And if you're looking for a hack of our ranch, you can really go buy some ranch seasoning packets And you need to make it with like a a full fat mayo and buttermilk and add some extra black pepper. And our early recipes were somewhere like some version of that. And so um, the big difference with us is our ranch is preservative free and we make it fresh daily. And and we'll we'll probably only hold on to our ranch. Like if we make a large batch in a restaurant or if the restaurant's closed for a day, we'll probably only hold on to our ranch for about 72 hours. And so it never really thickens up. And a lot of that is like using the acidity and and the buttermilk. And yeah, it makes a big difference. And (laughs) we get a lot of love for our ranch, though I, it will never, you know, we've, we've had to modify our ranch recipe a handful of times through the years. And we just recently came out with a vegan ranch for a, a vegan product we have on the menu. I'm never part of the taste test. Everybody on the team knows that I'll just trust their word for it. Wow. So, you know, ranch is so polarizing. I actually, I've been thinking about doing like a 30 minute, like mini documentary because it's so interesting (laughs) because some people will like love like blue cheese dressing, or maybe they might love like an aioli or something, or even like a spicy ranch gets a pass, but something about ranch, people either love it or hate it. And that's just very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, every year we do a collaboration with Mikey's late night slice here in central Ohio. And, 
we use the ranch as uh, both a garnish on the pizza, but also as part of the base of the pizza sauce. And I can, I can like almost stomach it on that pizza because it's kind of baked off, but it is, it is very different. There was one year where the extra ranch that we would provide to people was just what Mikey's used, like their kind of normal, kind of more traditional conventional ranch dressing. And we got a lot of kickback for it because it wasn't what people signed up for. Of course. And so, yeah, I don't, I, I would be, I would watch that documentary probably with a disgusted look on my face the entire time. Um, but I live with somebody that would be very eager to, to watch it. Hey, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening so far. If you're liking it, please subscribe, tell a friend. If you're loving it, please give us a five-star review. I've been a super fan of your place for a long time. Like not right when you first came out, probably like 2014, maybe 2015. Uh, I've been a fan. So Thank you so much. I was hoping you could maybe give my listeners your origin story. Yeah. Now, wait, did you first visit us at the North Market or in Old Town East? Uh, North Market. Okay. So yeah, we we moved into the North Market late in 2014, but uh, our fir- the first time we ever sold chicken was April 6th, 2014, out of the side of a USDA meat packing plant in this chicken window that we created. And so maybe even a, a couple steps ahead of that, I have always been like trying to build businesses as an entrepreneur and uh, in particular have been really passionate about creating work environments for people that have just been up against a lot of adversity in their life. And uh, Hot Chicken Takeover was kind of like that the fourth or fifth installment in a series of business attempts I had as an entrepreneur and was the one that kind of worked well. And so I actually came to it more excited to be an employer than I was to be a fried chicken entrepreneur. But my wife and I had taken a, a baby moon trip to Nashville, Tennessee in the in the fall of 2013. We were expecting our first daughter and just fell in love with just kind of uh, the Nashville atmosphere and community spirit. And, and two places in particular really inspired us. And, and one was a place called Monell's, which is a um, just a, a Southern comfort restaurant, but they serve everything family style and around big communal tables. So you're eating with strangers. And the other is... Um, Prince's, you know, kind of the home of hot chicken uh, by most accounts. Right. And so by the, we're driving back from Nashville and uh, I started kind of drumming up this idea. And within a few weeks, we bought a $80 fryer from Bed Bath & Beyond. And I, I started in Google searching how to fry chicken. And, oh my gosh. and, and <laughs> that was kind of the start. That's incredible. So did you ever hear the story of how Prince's supposedly started because the uncle was cheating on his girlfriend and she made it spicy <laughs> on purpose? Have you heard about that? I have. And it's always really upsetting to me that he gets all the credit. Uh, it's just not a very modern story when you when you think of it's it's really this woman that engineered this recipe and then some uh, man just stole the idea and ran with it and turned it into some great business. So it, it, maybe the story needs a refresh for uh, 2020s. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess if you're the kind of person who cheats so often that you have to be punished with spice, probably not the most ethical, I guess. I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but um, probably not the kind of person to give credit. But yeah, I think that's that's a fun story either way. I don't know how true it is. It, yeah. It could just be one of those old folksy things. You never know. Do you have like a culinary background? Like what made you want to get into chicken? I do not have a culinary background other than like, I, I think I've just always been a really strong consumer of food experiences. I mean, I love food and, and increasingly, you know, through my life, I, I started to enjoy 
preparing food and cooking, but yeah, no, no culinary training. And I, yeah, really, I mean, no joke. I had to Google how to fry chicken. It just wasn't, it was, it was an idea and an experience that I thought was missing in Columbus and in kind of our hometown market. And so I, I would start, I would find recipes online of people that are frying excellent chicken. And then I would read, you know, I'd find a, a food and wine recipe and and then I would read the 400 comments of people that tried to prepare that recipe to kind of discern what other people were learning. And yeah, so I, I really pieced it together. I never fried chicken prior to having the idea. And wow. and then I got it to about 80% and, and then had some friends that were a little bit more culinary that would give me feedback and taking a home recipe into a commercial recipe, you know, was kind of the biggest leap for us. And a leap we actually didn't make until probably six months into the actual like business being open. We were still frying chicken on a really small batch strategy that uh, made it like an epic shit show when we first started. I mean, people were waiting like two hours in line and then another 60 minutes for chicken. And Oh my uh, they, their chicken may or may not have been thoroughly fried by the time they got it in those early days. What do you attribute to that? Like you were a new person, you were a brand new company. Like why did people stick around? Like, why would they wait? Like, of course you don't want them to wait, but like what, what was special about your chicken that made them wait? We were at this point, when you talk about hot chicken, it's something that you see on every menu and you see um, across different culinary channels, whether it's fast food, fine dining. But at the time that we launched Hot Chicken, particularly in central Ohio, we were, you know, a, a year or so ahead of that huge kind of epic food trend beginning. And so I do think there was a lot of novelty about what we did and, and what we lacked for in execution and actual like capability we made up for with a lot of hospitality and a pretty unique experience and so to be able to to go someplace at that point old town east was a very different neighborhood and there just wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of commercial activity happening particularly in the area in old town we were and so to convince people from all over central ohio to show up on that corner and wait two hours in line drinking free sweet tea and hanging out with strangers was a really unique experience. And I was the host every single day of service through that entire experience. And so to be somewhere and like talk to an owner and somebody trying to create something that I was the same person telling you what to order. And then when we ran out by the time you got in line or you got a uh, raw chicken, I was the one like grabbing money out of the cash box, giving people credits literally with $10, $20 bills. Um, and so I think, I think that created a pretty rich, memorable experience for a lot of people. Of course. And I remember when you first came to the North market, you guys used to have like signs up that would say like, until we sell out, basically like you'd had X amount of chicken, whatever. Was that like a scarcity marketing tactic or were budgets so tight you couldn't afford to risk losing unsold chicken? Yeah, I wish it was a scarcity technique. I, I mean, I do think that built a lot of novelty and enthusiasm about what we did, but it was really like an ignorant ignorance strategy or like a competency issue, which is um, at that time, our team was so lean that the entire team serving chicken was also the same team prepping it. And we had limited fryer capacity and other things. And so we were literally frying as much chicken as we could prepare Gotcha. And it was, it became a huge bottleneck where we had more demand than we had supply. And it ultimately spun into kind of a, 
uh, scarcity model. Um, but, but the moment, you know, we, we were all about job creation. And so, you know, we were getting accused of like intentionally running out and we're like, listen, if, if we could fry more chicken, we would, because it would create more jobs. Yeah. And we were just always limited by our capacity. And, and it took us really took us like almost two years to get out of that model and to be able to kind of like in real time, produce, produce chicken to meet the line. Gotcha. And so I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of learning on the job, but like, what was that scaling up from a literal parking lot to now several locations? Like what were some of the challenges along the way of doing that? Yeah. I mean, I probably too many mistakes to count. We, <laughs> uh, kind of these giant growing pains of as a business matures and it's less about kind of the, the small club of, of a startup team. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what's probably given me the most heartburn through the years. And going from one restaurant to two restaurants was an absolute cluster. I mean, we just, um, we went from a restaurant that was only open four hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it wasn't even open seven days a week in the beginning, <laughs> but four hours a day to going to nine hours a day with two services. And I mean, we just kind of every assumption we had about how a restaurant operates was was busted and and wrong. And so that was really trying. We did. We did. And again, like we were screwing shit up so frequently, but it was really this like very generous recovery model. And we never were defensive. We just anytime we made mistakes, we just made it uh, let it be known really transparently. And I think. I think people respond really well to that so that we were an underdog that was scrappy, but we were never, we were never acting like we were something bigger than that. And um, yeah, it's made a big difference. I think. I think you're really resilient. And I, you, you mentioned that you'd have like four or five attempts before you hit this. Like, what would you say, <laughs> like, how do you find the motivation to not give up? Cause like rejection is very challenging, obviously. And, and no one's a fan of it, but what made you overcome that? Great. I mean, great question. I think I've always been really addicted to just our team and the environment we build. And we get to be a lot of, alongside a lot of team members that are just tackling huge things in their life. And it's just a really, it's a really exciting experience to have and to, to get to be around somebody as they lock down their first home or their first vehicle or it just these huge kind of milestones or they start their family and to really be a business that was intent on building that environment and building that environment at scale really, yeah, always kind of kept me going and you get deeply invested in the people that are on your team. So that that's a blessing and a curse. It, it has, it's, it's tricky at times too, but um, I think generally I was really focused on, you know, getting to, getting to that outcome. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I love it. And I, I'm glad you mentioned collabs because that made me want to ask you, I forget the name of the place, um, but when I lived in New York City, there's this place in the East Village and they would put a honey vanilla ice cream scoop on top of a hot chicken sandwich. Very polarizing. Would you ever consider putting ice cream on one of your sandwiches? Yeah, you know, through the years of like just hanging out with folks in town, I've talked about ice cream collabs before and we've just never, we've never pulled it off. We did a, a light collaboration with Jenny's when we were launching this kind of Ohio strawberry festival in years past. And we we were sitting around, um, Jenny was actually using this giant chef knife to cut um, pints of strawberry ice cream in half and was serving them like that was the service bowl 
And we were just had buckets of cold, hot chicken, like refrigerated temp chicken that we had brought down to, to that cool, like summer temp. And it was lovely and it went well together. But even then I wasn't, I wasn't consuming them in the same bite, you know, but I don't know. It's not, it's not out of the question. We've done some ridiculous collaborations, sushi, you know, pizza, of course, like, uh, and, um, so who knows cookies we've done, we've done it all. So wait, sushi, that's interesting. Was it like raw fish mixed with spicy chicken or was it? No, no, (laughs) we did a, uh, we did a collaboration a few years ago with fusion. That was, we basically roasted chicken with our spice blend and paste on it and rolled it up with some of our coleslaw into a sushi roll. And people still talk about it. It was, it was pretty good, but yeah, not one that we've repeated. I might just have to make an unofficial collab and put a big scoop of Jenny's ice cream on a chicken sandwich and just see what happens. I think, I think you should try it and, and let's see what kind of attention you can get for it. and Then we can make it happen. My followers, it's kind of funny. There's like the pickiest followers in all the land. Like whenever I post like a cooking video or something of myself, they're so critical of everything. Like that's not how you're supposed to chop. You're not supposed to cut like that. I'm like, I cut the thing and not my hand. It's a win. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and I, what I appreciate about the nature of the work you do is it is open and honest. And I think there is this kind of influencer food culture now that really grays the line between advertisement and and food and and I, I as a consumer I really appreciate people that are willing to share their perspective and I really appreciate people that share it with us because it allows us to you know respond and react accordingly and so yeah anyways that's a yeah. sideline but thank you for doing it the way you do and I don't care how you chop things because <laughs> um, I'm sure they criticize the way I chop things Right, of course. And then the, the last question I wanted to ask you was from whoever runs your social media page, Hot Chicken Takeover Instagram asks, what was your favorite magic trick when you were a magician in the seventh grade? That's probably super yes. insightful. I don't, because you laughed already. So I'm sure it's a great story. I Yeah, I mean, I, one of my first entrepreneurial hostels was I used to do birthday parties as a, like a middle school magician. And I had like bunnies and other things, but Nerd. No, I kidding. always, yeah, I go completely. I had a partner. We were big kids with little illusions or no, no shit. That's wrong. Little kids with big illusions. Nice. Um, there is uh, a photo collage my mom made for me in middle school that's hanging in our office. <laughs> so that's why this is pervasive. But I used to love little like sleight of hand card and sponge, sponge ball tricks. And so um, I've lost most of my magic gifts, but I still have some of those and um, I can still impress children with them. Dude, I love so, a magic trick. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a magic trick. That's so interesting to me. What made you stop performing? Like, did you just kind of grow out of it? Like, did people tease you for being a magician? Like, what happened? You know, I moved around a ton as a kid and kind of changed like hobbies and friends frequently. And uh, I've like un- I've unpacked most of that as an adult about the the good and the bad that that had in my life. But you know, I got into I was really into music and, and singing, and so I think my performance bug just went another direction. I started playing guitar and performing, and I was in show choir and a ton of like you know a men's chorus and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I think that was really maybe that performance bug just got swept up by something else. That's cool, man. And I feel like at this point, 
you could probably just expand as quickly as you wanted, right? Like if you just threw caution to the wind and weren't so, you know, focused on the brand and the quality, like, cause you're successful and, and you're established, like, couldn't you just do whatever you want at this point or, or not quite yet? I mean, I think a lot of brands that find themselves in the position we are do grow really rapidly and, and you can go out and find people that'll give you money to franchise or whatever. And, and we get a lot of that in those inbound calls, but you know, inside looking out, if we were to do that, we are not at, we're absolutely not ready to do it well and with integrity in terms of our food and our service experience and our team experience, you know, which is kind of the paramount, that's like the asterisk on our logo, you know, I think I, I have a shirt, but you know, like we have this logo that's a chicken with an asterisk and that asterisk is really about like what's more to our business than selling chicken. And so for us, that is not scalable yet. Like we haven't figured out how to replicate our culture and even the culture of our, our customer service atmosphere, we're still figuring out. And for those of you that have had bad service experiences, with hot chicken, it's because we haven't figured out how to design around that yet. Right. And so we're being really thoughtful and, and cautious about growth and, and can't, you know, feel like we're in this position that we can't afford to make a ton of mistakes. And, and there's that whole money thing. Like it's really expensive to open restaurants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, we want to make sure we get the right money to grow and that we don't fall into this trap where a lot of brands have grown really aggressively and kind of thrown caution to the wind. And then next thing you know, you've got, you went from 10 to 50 restaurants and you're starting to shutter their, shutter their doors because you weren't aligned enough with your customer or your team. And um, we care too much about what we do to, to do that. And you can tell. Uh, for better or for worse, that's where we're at. Yeah. Dude, pre-corona times, like I just love the vibe of your restaurant because like the red and white table, the, you know, the casual paper towels. Yeah. Really, and like, I love the free tea. Like I just, I love your guys' business so much, dude. I'm like a super fan. So you guys are <laughs> well, thank you. I hope I, we're really eager to get back to some of those same atmosphere pieces, you know, and I think our crazy ranch fans are really excited for us to get back to self-service ranch because they were probably all the nut jobs that were walking out of there with like a juice cup full of ranch. <laughs> Shame on you. That's right. expensive. It's supposed it's to be the honest dairy. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, and they very honorably took very much ranch from us, but we're excited to get back to that because we miss that spirit, you know? Uh -huh. Um, and so, uh, we'll get back there. We'll get back there at some point. So I'm sure you love all your chicken equally, but do you think there's like a star of the show, like a thigh, a breast, whatever? So I, I hesitate to say this because wing prices right now are absurd. We're paying like almost three times what we were paying for fresh wings before COVID. Oh um, but I, I love our wings. And so my, my standard order are, uh, hot wings, um, sometimes fried hard to make them extra crispy. Nice. And I just, I love our wings. Our most popular cut by far is the boneless breast, which isn't surprising, uh, that the, you know, is, is what's the most popular, but mm -hmm. I prefer dark, dark meat. And so I go wings. And then I, I think the best bang for your buck at hot chicken is the drumstick meal. Yeah. Um, getting four giant drumsticks <laughs> is a hell of a meal, I think. It really is. And the side did, yeah, the coleslaw, baked beans are a newer addition to us. But so I always go classic 
baked mac and cheese and vinegar-based coleslaw, which were my grandma's recipes. So they're particularly nostalgic for me. That's beautiful because mac and cheese can be, it's a hot topic. People like breadcrumbs, people like no breadcrumbs. People like it more like a casserole. People like it more creamy. Like it's a, it's a wild thing. I've heard it all. I can't even imagine the complaints or, you know, praises. Yeah. Or like a lot of people want pimento in mac and cheese because it's Southern. And I think, you know, we're, we're a comfort food restaurant. I don't think we're a Southern restaurant though. We have some, some Southern ink inklings, but I like mac and cheese. Like I grew up with, which was my grandma who we called mall, which was basically like a creamy Mac that you bake off. No breadcrumbs, no BS. (laughs) Yeah. Just like classic cheddar blend and one difference is especially when we started we were really oriented towards using that we would always use block cheese because it did have that excess starch in it and it made for a creamier mouthfeel and um, so it's just like the details like that 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 make a difference and figuring out how to do that in large batches is is tricky hell I I mean we used to um the only recipe I had for mac and cheese was the recipe that I got from my grandmother. Uh-huh. And so instead of us making mac that could serve 250 people at a time, we would make mac that could serve about 30 people. We would just duplicate the recipe over and over and over again, which was very time consuming. So we've matured a little bit from them. I can't imagine the math adds up, right? Like say there's recipes for 10 people and you multiply it by 20. Like it's probably not as simple as just multiplying everything by 20, right? You probably got to tweak it. Absolutely not. Yeah. And like when you start working with bigger equipment and you move from a residential oven to a commercial oven, it's every one of those decisions changes. And um, so, yeah, it took took a lot of trial and error. So I would love to know your top three Columbus restaurants. If I'm going out for steak, I like going to the top. And so we, we love the top and the owners and just the the spirit they create over there is really special it is yeah and we like randomly rolling into a steakhouse on like a tuesday night when it's it there's a little less like pomp and circumstance and it's it's it feels more i think when more fast casual we go to north star a lot i know you've had damon oh yeah and folks from that team on and so really really just admire how they execute at that at, at such volume and spend a lot of time trying to learn from them. And they're always generous sharing with us. And so really love the North Star folks. And let me see, for the third place I really love, the particular dish of chicken wings is Valter's on South High Street. We used to live right around the corner and, and he makes, uh, he char grills and then flash fries a wing with a kind of a Jägermeister sauce that he makes that is just really spectacular. It's just like got like a, a nice sweet heat that builds on you. And I, I like, because I'm in the breaded wings game, I like, I like a naked wing, like I love a char grilled wing. And so I think, I think Walter does that extremely well. That Jaeger wing is truly phenomenal. For sure. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I'm glad it has other fans. Yeah, man. Walter rules. I'm a big fan of him. He's, he's quite the character. He, <laughs> he is really nuts. Is. I, uh, I love when I get a call from Walter, I see his name come up on my phone. I don't even know what Walter's last name is. It just shows up as Walter. And he like, I know that he's going to ask me some crazy question. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. And I've been in his restaurant a few times and he's sending me screenshots 
shots of me on the security camera, which I think is really funny too. So he's a character and I admire what he does. And the fact that, you know, the best German restaurant in town is run by an Albanian is, is super cool too. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. So Joe, I feel like I asked you everything I wanted to ask you, but I always tell my guests, if there's something I didn't bring up or something you're chomping at the bit to say, uh, go ahead and say that. I'm excited for a restaurant to get back to the that kind of communal spirit you talked about. And I think as we grow, I think people always peg us as a fried chicken restaurant, but we're inclusive now of gluten-free fried chicken, which is like magical and We've got this great plant-based option, Nugs. And so I think as our brand grows, I really want it to be about that inclusive comfort restaurant that people can make memories and, and remember that nostalgia, you know, yeah. of whatever, whatever time that was in their past. And so I don't know if that's worth sharing, but I think your, your listeners will appreciate it. And we appreciate your listeners and the people that show up and give us feedback and, and participate in this hot chicken community. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, dude, thank you so much for having it. And I just want everyone to know on record, your restaurant is amazing. I love it. You can buy <laughs> like a regular spiced chicken. It's packed full of flavor, or you can do the insane version like I do. I like the hottest version available, but it's just all great. It's all super delicious. 100% recommended from, from me. So, hey, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Remember to tell your friends, share us on social media, and uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out a lot. So cheers. Thanks.